This conversation is brought to you in part by Produce Careers with promotional consideration from Calavo Growers and Volcano Produce. Hey, hi-ho, everybody. How the hell are you? I'm good. Thanks for asking. Stephanie's good. She appreciates you asking about her as well. I'm excited about today's show. This one is going to be a ton of fun. I've got somebody hanging out with me today that I think that a lot of you have probably seen on national television, may have heard her voice through social media. If you haven't heard it, get ready to listen to it because it's an important one. It's somebody that is bringing a difference to the agriculture scene in this country and her words have value and they are worth listening to. So please, everybody, give it up from the Northern Mockingbird state of Tennessee, mom to cows, rancher, anti-cow diaper person, by the way, which we might talk about, please, from Nash Family Farms, welcome my friend, Stephanie Nash. Welcome, I'm so stoked you're here. Yeah, I'm excited to talk about agriculture. Me too. It's what I do all the time and it's what I've been doing for the last 40 years and it's an absolute blast. And I'm looking forward to tackling some tough subjects with you today and talk about a few things that people probably know just a little tiny bit about, but not enough to get their, uh, you know, to get their dandered up a little bit. And I think we need to do that because we need to make changes in this country. And one of the best ways we're going to change a whole lot of things is through agriculture. There's no two ways about it. When you want to talk about climate, you want to talk about our health, you want to talk about a whole bunch of other things. Agriculture has got a big key to all of that. And I'm looking forward to this chat. But before we get going, like I do with all my guests, if you wouldn't mind, give everybody a quick 411, tell them who you are, what you're doing, and uh, whatever else you want to talk about. Go for it. Yeah. So my name is Stephanie Nash. I'm a fourth generation dairy farmer, you know, residing here in Tennessee. Our family has a big background. We actually have not been in Tennessee very long, only nine Mm -hmm. years. Um, But we came from the Central Valley in California. My dad was a big representative for the dairy industry in California. We milked 1200 cows there. And, uh, you know, everything changed for a lot of small businesses in agriculture in 2008, 2009. Um, my dad saw a big shift, um, you know, not only with California politics, but with, you know, just the Central Valley and, you know, how dairy farms were being um, represented. So we decided to move out of California in 2013, build a new dairy farm, start over. Um, we will not start over 100 percent. We brought our cows with us, um, but it was a good change. You know, Tennessee was a top 10 business state. Um, and you know, we saw a lot of growth here with not only, um, us building our creamery, which is newer, it's the last two years, but us being able to survive in the dairy industry. So it's been a really good change and, you know, happy to be here. I love it. Great. I absolutely. Well, I want to talk a little bit cause I'm obviously, and I'm standing in the central Valley right now. So I, you know, I've got a little perspective from where you've come from, but you, to your point, what you talk about, your family's been farming over 90 years, started back in 1929 um milk and cows and then you pack up you know you guys dad mom whatever wake up one day and go hey guys guess what we're leaving i I, tell me what that had to be like for your family because i mean how old okay i gotta add well how old were you back then you were probably what teenager yeah so when we when we decided to move i was actually a sophomore at fresno state okay yeah so i was a little bit older but we were looking i mean we were looking back in 2010 Um, so we had been looking, um, you know, at Texas and, uh, South Dakota was on there, but my mom's like, I do not want to go to South Dakota too cold for me. Um, And she wanted, you know, my parents are really, um, big explorers, like on the weekends, they do get a day off, they go explore and go try a new restaurant. So my mom was like, I don't want to give that up. And so, uh, yeah, it was, it was, it was a good transition. You know, we moved a lot of cows to Tennessee. We had to learn about the environment, the weather, how to dairy farm in Tennessee, but it's, it's been pretty successful. 
I love it. Well, yeah, and you've added the ice cream. You've added the, you've got cheese. You got the creamy. I mean, that looks. I'm coming for that. I mean, <laughs> besides besides hanging out with the cows and see watch put a diaper on a cow, right? I can't wait to see that. We'll get into that in a second. But when you talk about leaving California with the regulations, and and I I, I harp on this all the time, and I feel really good about being a citizen of the state. I can say whatever the hell I want because I live here. So. This place is a tough place to work, and it's a tough place to run a business. It's a really tough place to be in agriculture. That had to be a big factor in what your family was deciding to do because, you know, there's regulations on top of regulations. And I want to talk a little bit about water specifically. That's a really big problem because water is a big part of your business, not only for the cows and for your livestock, but to produce the food that they need to be your cows and the livestock. How big of a factor was water with you guys when you were thinking about all this? Yeah. So that was actually probably number one or number two on my dad's list. You know, we looked at Texas, but they were going through a drought as well. Um, And we're like, we don't want to go to another state that has a water problem. Uh, We know how Los Angeles and San Francisco work. Um, All these rich celebrities and politicians want their grass to be green. Um, And they say too bad to the Central Valley farmers that actually need food. So we're like, we're not going to deal with that again. Um, And the other thing was air quality. My dad would have to do his air quality book. It was about, I don't know, a hundred pages was a huge binder. And that was just a big headache for him because we were doing the best we could um, on our dairy farm and trying to educate the public of, you know, the emissions problem and how agriculture was affecting the environment. I could go on and on about that topic because I feel very strongly about educating correctly. Um, but that was a big factor too. We didn't want to feel like the government was hanging over our throats the entire time. Um, cause we are the farmers, they're not, and we produce the food and they don't. And so that's something to remember. Yeah. hundred percent. Well, look, n- nearly 165, whatever million people in America rely on groundwater for drinking water. Irrigation for ag is 30, 40% of that usage. Industry uses that stuff, you know, and quite frankly, groundwater is being pumped faster than we're replenishing it. And, and our infrastructure system around water here in California is unbelievably pathetic. You know, we have bond measures passed by the taxpayers that they haven't even spent the money that we said, go spend. I mean, like, guys, go to Home Depot, buy a shovel, start somewhere. This is nuts, right? And it and it's really unfortunate when you look at what they're doing to agriculture today. And one of the things I'm concerned about is, you know, I look at this water in the United States package that they're trying to put out where the federal government wants to look at, you know, basically having jurisdiction over all kinds of water now in this country, which, which is great. We want to have clean water. I'm not opposed to that. I get some of the, some of the argument for it, but it also starts to get a little dicey when we start grabbing control of things to solve issues that we really don't know what we're pondering. And I think that, you know, that becomes really scary. I know here in California, one of the things that's out there now too, is they're talking about California telling farmers when they can or when they can't water. And that's dangerous. So Talk to me a little bit, if you wouldn't mind, and I, I, again, because I think this is such a powerful topic, especially in the state, but really for the country to recognize because so much comes from California. I mean, how is this affecting farmers and ranchers, you know, and what they're trying to accomplish if some of this stuff comes to fruition about so much of these different controls? Yeah, I mean, the biggest thing right now that I, you know, really advocate for is just listening to the farmer and rancher. There's a lot of regulations, a lot of bills coming into states. A great example is Oregon. They have a bill saying that artificial insemination is rape and that um, they are not being heard. The cows are not being heard. And I try to tell people artificial insemination is for the safety of the cattle. It's for genetics. Um, We want her daughter and son to be stronger than she was as a cow. Um, And so I just shoot them with facts. But 
I'll tell you right now, Todd, the biggest thing against agriculture is regulations. I think there's scientists with an agenda. There's politicians with agenda. We see it with the Biden Pelosi administration, the Green New Deal. And they throw out these numbers to Americans because these numbers look so good on paper or in an article from the New York Times. But what they are missing is if we get rid of cattle, if we take them off the land, if we continue to build houses and build lab-grown processing plants, um, you know, a good example was I talked about byproducts last night. These Mm -hmm. byproducts, millions of tons, still have to go to waste facilities or landfills, and that's going to be harmful. That's going to leave an imprint Um, you know, releasing gases into the environment. So animals and agriculture in general are doing the best that we can for the environment. And I tell people all the time, we're the best stewards of the land. We know the land, it's our livelihood, and we want the best wholesome product for Americans. 100%, you know, and I I love what you said. It's about listening, right? And, you know, the first thing that pops in my mind is electric cars, right? 2035, we've got to have electric cars, but we're not tackling the issue of the conflict minerals, the slavery involved in getting the minerals to create batteries, where we're going to put the batteries when they don't work anymore, and all these other things. And 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 even to the point where they say, hey, don't charge your car today because the grid's too overwhelmed because it's too hot. We rush to go solve problems. It's like, oh, we solved it. Let's move on. But we don't do anything to really solve any of these issues. And I believe so strongly in Platforms like what we're doing now, communicating and sharing and talking, and putting perspective into people that can actually ask questions. It's so concerning um, that we just, it's almost like a rush to judgment in a lot of ways. And I appreciate so much the way you stand up and fight and, and present perspective from, look, you know, you can walk outside and go touch a cow within about three minutes, if I was guessing, right? You're there, you're living, breathing it every day. And it, those perspectives are incredibly valuable. And I mean, those things are certainly concerning and they have to be concerning to you at your age, with your peer group, and with what, you, what you're seeing going on out there. Thanks for joining the Toddversation. And now, a word from our sponsor. At Produce Careers, we are in the people business. Thanks for listening to Toddversations. As your trusted executive search firm for the fresh produce, food processing, and agribusiness industries, we focus on outcomes. With over 80 years of combined industry expertise, with our global networks, We have the tools and the skills to identify top talent for your organization's strategic hiring needs. Our relationship-driven approach and proven recruitment process deliver the right candidates at the right time. At Produce Careers, we know each hire is an investment. Whether you're looking for the perfect candidate or searching for your next challenge, call or email us today and let us partner with you. Yeah, I mean, for me, people, you know, say you're too loud, your advocacy isn't correct. Um, I get everything from these, I mean, even in the farming community, they're like, you're not advocating the right way. And I'm like, I'm not advocating the right way, because maybe you see me as a threat, because you're on a, you know, even you're in, you're on your state for agriculture, you're on a committee, and you're trying to vote a certain way. And you're voting a way that's not helping family farmers or ranchers. So I'm exposing you and I'm calling you out. So that's why you don't like it. Um, And I like how you said it because that's how I feel as a farmer, especially as a dairy farmer, you know, USDA and all these politicians want this green new deal and want to make the planet a better place, but they only put all this money into an idea and they don't finish it. They don't think about the future. They don't think how it's going to affect the economy or our food supply. That's a big deal to me. You know, the USDA used to have a program, um, you know, 
really just writing down who was coming into our country, buying up land from foreign countries. They were supposed to write down like if they were going to build, um, you know, a facility on there, if they were going to use it to have their own beef cattle on there. And they've gotten away from that. And so foreign countries, heck, it's like a party. They can come to the United States and buy whatever they want and do whatever they want with our land. That's a food security issue. And we're not talking about it. So I talk about it. I and do that too. Gets, that, you know, that gets me in trouble sometimes. And that's okay because there's certain things that we need to start putting into the conversation. And I love getting uncomfortable. If you have a different idea of what agriculture is on, on your side, you know, we talked about it before, organic compared to conventional. Let's talk about it. Let's see what your practices are compared to my my practices but I don't a right or wrong way of agriculture. I think we all feed the world and we all should be respectful of, of our practices, you know, moving forward. Well, I think it's the only way we learn from each other. Right. I mean, look, there's, there's lots of, there's lots of good things in that. And let's be honest, there's bad things in that. Right. You start getting into, you start playing, you know, I always say working with mother nature is a win. Trying to be mother nature is a loss. Right. And I think and I think you would agree with me on that, that, there, that there's not a place to be Mother Nature. It's about working with her and, and better understanding the ebb and flow that we are creating in this planet, whether you want to talk about climate or not. Like, look, climate's a big, big issue. Don't get me wrong. And I'm, I get there's things we need to be doing. There's things we need to be doing on a global scale that we don't. We try to, you know, here we try to fix everything for the world and put those requirements restriction on us, but we don't put the same restrictions or same caveats on other countries that are just don't give a shit anymore. Yeah. Right. And it's incredibly dangerous. And so I think it's, you know, it's super important that we have these conversations like you have. And, and I want to throw something out at you really quick because, you know, behind every business is a good story. Right. And, you know, you are who you are and, and you know, you didn't wake up one day going, this is the path I'm going to take. Right. That path was started when you were a little girl and started being around the farm and your first cow and all the different things that you involved with. Right. And so being a fourth generation rancher now, I mean, your dad, I'm going to lean on him for just a quick second. Your dad has got such an interesting perspective because he's a generation that can see behind him with clarity and firsthand knowledge. And while he's looking forward with insight and wisdom. So how has he and your family influenced? I'll ask the same question about you and your brother, both, because you're both there, you know, uh, putting diapers on cows. Oh, I haven't, we haven't talked about that. We got to get to that. You and your brother, how have you guys, you know, how's that influence, you know, helped you guys embrace egg and your mindset and stuff? Yeah. So yeah, my dad's a very influential person. If we, he wasn't in the business, I don't think we would have the dairy farm. You know, he makes very smart decisions financially and, you know, what's best, um, you know, for him to go to certain meetings, be, um, present and voice his opinion. I think that's very important. I think farmers and ranchers nowadays feel like they don't have the chance to voice their opinions. And so that's what I really advocate for again, you know, get out there, take chances because, you know, it's, it's really sad. Our country, you know, the average age of a farmer right now is in the sixties. And so we ask ourselves, like, what does our future look like if we're not creating programs? And I'm big on this. And I don't think the USDA does this enough or states. I mean, even in Tennessee, I try to push them to educate more, like create more FFA programs, create more 4-H programs. You know, yeah. we have money in the USDA for education and I don't know where the hell it's going, but it sure as hell is not going back to agriculture right now. And that's no. a big, you know, do YouTube series, be on the news, talk about what you're doing in your local communities, how you're buying local or, you know, just showing a cow at your local, you know, fair. That's, that's really important. That's what Americans want to see. And so growing up in that kind of community in the Central Valley, I do not take that for granted. You know, I showed at the Fresno Fair. And I think that really brought me up to be, you know, a, a strong agriculture leader. I went to Fresno State. I had a lot of great mentors, professors. And then when I moved to Tennessee, I just saw 
um, my voice to change the world. I, I'm a very honest and straightforward woman. I just always have been. And so when you, when you create a family that, you know, loves the dairy business and loves bringing our product to our communities, it just changes people's perspective of what you do. Of You know, I have a lot of moms that like, you know, they would come on and they would be drinking oatly milk or almond milk because they believed that we had antibiotics or added home hormones in our milk. And I would go through the process and tell them that's not true. And they're like, oh my gosh, I've been reading about this for years. And so when you start to listen to the farmer rancher, you start to trust them again. And we start right. to create relationships and then people want to buy your product. And I think that's so important moving forward. hundred percent. Look, I, I love, I love what came out, you know, the, the, the phrase that came out of the USDA, you know, know your food, know your farmer. And I think that those things have to go hand in hand. And I think that it's incredibly important that we start, and I'm a big advocate of starting at the school level. I'm a big advocate of, of working with, you know, and highlighting, even on this broadcast, we highlight people around the country in school nutrition that are scratch cooking food for kids. None of this processed. I mean, they're literally getting grass fed, whatever beef to make burgers. And they're finding, they're making recipes from around the world and educating children through, through the lunch programs about nutrition, what food is. And I think that's a very powerful way to change this country. And they're doing it on a budget of $4.97, $5.10. And that's the food, the labor, the lights, the trucks, the refrigerator, the sporks, the plates, whatever you want to call it. It's incredibly important, the impact that, or I, again, I said in the beginning of this broadcast, the impact that agriculture has and the trickle-down effect that it provides this country in such a very um, broad way, right? Because again, it's it's beef, it's it's proteins, it's, it's fruits and veg, all of that stuff. And I think you said something that I just perfect timing to drop this in on. You said something where most Americans don't realize their family history because we all come from a family of ranchers or farmers in this country some way or another. You know, we're all connected to the land. Talk to me a little bit about what that means to you and what that what that statement's all about. Yeah, for me, you know, I've seen such a, a change in our country. I think COVID taught us one thing that the shelves can be empty and we need to depend on our local communities to feed us. And yeah, again, people don't realize like their ancestors were farmers and ranchers. They lived off the land. They know how hard it was to, um, you know, raise that calf to be a producing cow or to you raise that beef cow to harvest and produce beef. And so just getting back to, you know, the fundamentals of what agriculture is, what it stands for, where, where we have come from and where we are going is so important. And I, and I really do, um, you know, want to like, just go over that education again, because I think that's so important. I love that people are getting back into the classroom. You know, for me, I do agritourism here on our dairy farm. We have a trailer that comes from the creamery to the dairy farm and we teach them about where their milk comes from. And then I also do summer camp and all these kids take away so much. They connect with the cows or maybe it's, they really liked um, seeing the milk cows in the milk parlor because they think it's cool that, you know, to see the whole process, every kid, you know, um, attaches to a different subject. And it's really cool to see that because I think we're, we're keeping our kids away from agriculture and animals are healing and the process of knowing where your food is healing. And I think it had changed their perspective growing up in a world that is so social and media based. hundred percent. But you know, also too, we don't value our food in this country. Food, getting food in this country is way too easy. Right. And I mean, and that's a good thing. Don't get me wrong. I mean, you know, there's two sides to that statement. Right. But I mean, nonetheless, we do not put any value on our food supply. And you can tell that by the snack food. You can tell that about what's in our food supply. You can take a look at what has been created 
the snack food industry. Go back and look at farm bill policy and figure out where the, where, where the snack food industry came from. Potato chips weren't a thing 200 years ago, right? And maybe they were, but they certainly weren't a thing. You know, they're certainly not in every single bodega across this country, right? And so it, it is, it's, it's surprising to me when I get, you know, doing this broadcast for the last couple of years and all the hundreds of shows we got out there and the people we're reaching, how disconnected we are with our food and how the fact that it's just, we come, we've come to expect it to be there. And I think your point's valid. You know, when people realized there was no toilet paper during COVID, oh my God, you would have thought that the Martians just landed. It was the biggest drama. I mean, it was all over everywhere. It's like, seriously, right? And, and we, if we put half that energy in your food, and I want to talk a little bit about food and security here in a minute, but that's a tremendous topic that I do, that I think is one that we, we failed to talk about. And I think the way we overcome some of that is what I've suggested is get into the school system. To your point, educate our youth, right? Let's go backwards with wisdom. Just like I was talking about your dad, right? He's got that clarity and that knowledge, you know, to look back really well. And I think that we have that. We need to be doing that more and more and more. It's so incredibly important to this country, to our health and to the climate and everything else you want to put a finger at. Yeah. I mean, I, I feel very strongly and I think this is why, I get canceled and shut down quite a bit again. I ain't canceling you. I know you're not going to cancel me, but I, I, I think the biggest mistake we made as a country is introducing alternatives under agriculture topics. Um, no offense, but almond milk is not milk. Oatly milk is not milk. Uh, Beyond beef is not beef. Um, it's lab grown, chemically grown food. And the more we start to realize this initiative of bringing in that kind of food, and them having regulations against family farmers and ranchers, we're, I mean, we don't need to be introducing that, you know, regulations are already hurting us as a country for our food security. And, you know, people like Bill Gates are really on this topic of we need alternatives, we need to put different things into our diet. And I always go about the ingredients. I'm like, hey, look at the ingredients, look what's in the product. There is actually ingredients that have been banned by other countries. It has been mm -hmm. banned by the FDA to put it on your face, but hell, we'll just eat it. That's fine. You know, yeah. that's, that's a big thing that I'm really passionate about too. I don't think alternatives should be called milk, beef, or eggs. Like if you're going to call it something, maybe a barista drink, maybe, you know, plant-based meats instead of beef. Um, but I, I think that's misleading to the Americans as well. If we're going to, well, you know. Well, yeah, I don't disagree with that. And, and having the experience of actually working with some of that stuff, you know, look, the data's out there now that the, the, the beyond stuff, the, you know, the different things that are out there, they're not healthy, right? They're, they got lab rats that are having liver issues. They got problems. I cooked that stuff once in the house. Well, oh my God, I should have just thrown the pan away. It's such a disaster because you're just burning oil, right? It's, it's different. But, you know, you, you take me down a trail right now, and I and I'm I'm going to go here because I think that this is something that is not discussed a lot, and I want to put it out there because I think it's I'm going to frame this up in perspective and ask a question of it. But there was a release of information back in 2019. I'm going to read this up off the board. 225 million farmers worldwide struggle with mental health today. This uh, the Center for Disease Control study showed that the rate of suicide among farmers is greater than self-imposed death of military veterans now. Uh, the CDC went on to say that workers and farmers, fishing, forestry industries have the highest rate of suicide across a set of common occupants, occupants, occupations. Sorry, I can't read big words. Uh, public high school will do it to you. I'm telling you. Sometimes I don't think people get the hidden challenges that farmers face every day. And we've talked about some, of them, but I want to get a little more specific. If we could. They take for granted, as we've just touched on, about you know having food and supplies in this country, right? We just expect to walk in and it's there, right? 
Um, and, and I don't think we really put a lot of energy into it. Again, I go back to COVID, right? And toilet paper. I think that kind of sparked people to like, oh, panic situation. And we're seeing it now a little bit in the grocery stores. Eggs are tight. Milk is tight. I mean, there's things that are going on, right? I mean, it's the eggs, obviously, with the avian flu, these different things are happening, but you know, we're feeling it now. So everyday farmers, and quite frankly, our true American heroes, right? They need a Marvel character that's a farmer. That would be super cool. Um, but they face uncertainties every day, right? Um, issues of financial woes, weather, banks, generational growth, right? Where's the next generation of farmer coming from? Falling prices, regulations, all of it. There's a host of things that contribute to that statistics. And it's unfortunate that it's, it's becoming somewhat of a norm and not an, you know, not an exception. That's dangerous. So here's a $100 frame-up question for you. How hard is it today for a family farmer to make money? Oh, this is a struggle. <laughs> I think this is really where I started my advocacy because you know too well what the bullet train is. A lot of people don't. I love um, the bullet train, the train to nowhere. Yeah, it's great. It actually goes right through our Selma farm. If Are we would right through it. Yes, right through it. Well, you don't have to worry because it ain't going to happen, but they're just going to oh. pretend like they're building it. Yeah. So, yeah, it's just, it's, it's really sad. Honestly, I've seen so many family farmers, not only, you know, like the bullet train being owed millions of dollars from the government, that they still haven't gotten. Um, but they, they face the unknown, like prices change constantly. Like you said, weather is a big factor. I plan things maybe five hours in advance because I didn't know it was going to rain tomorrow or something like that. You know, you have to be on your toes. You have to be available. Um, I think the biggest struggle right now is financials money. I mean, even in marriages, that's the number one reason people get divorced is money. And so for us as family farmers and ranchers, you know, having, um, you know, financial hardships has been a big reason mental house, mental illness has risen in agriculture because they can't pay their bills. They feel like they're filling their families. They feel like they're filling their land because they're going to have to get rid of their land or the bank is going to foreclose on it. And so they really have nowhere to go as a family farmer rancher. What, what are you going to go do? You know, you don't have another occupation you can just bounce to. It's not like being a lawyer or a doctor. You can go to another hospital. You can go to another office. Um, and so they're choosing, you know, to take their own life, which is, is is really sad. And I think, you know, I was on Tommy Lauren the other day, and this is something we talked about because um, she comes from a, a farming family, a ranching family. And she was like, I've, I've heard it from my uncle time and time again. You know, his friend died of mental illness last week or, right. you know. You know, he heard of another story, you know, online. So I think there's a lot of factors. Um, I think the biggest one is just feeling like they have failed, um, you know, to not keep their land and not keep their generational farms. Yeah, because they're blood, sweat and tears, to your point. You're, you're in the rain. You know, cows, cows, it doesn't matter to a cow. It's raining. It's just another day. Right. And they have to be milked. They have to be cared for. And I mean, it's a nonstop. And it's the same if you're growing fruits and vegetables, too. I'm not get me wrong. It's not, you know, it's, none of it's easy. Do you feel like now, you know, based upon your peer group who you talk to, do you feel like farmers now are going back to becoming more dependent on the banking system to survive? I mean, look, banks and farming have been together since the hip for a long time, but independence from a bank is certainly something any farm wants to try to get, right? They want to use a bank to grow, not necessarily to survive. And there's a big difference, right? You don't ever want to grow a business broke, right? Do you feeling like there's more pressure now because of the way we're looking at ag in some ways? Yeah, I mean, we've always had really good relationships with our banks. And my dad's always, you know, been that farmer, like, to, 
you know, if you're going to get a loan or if you're going to work with a bank, you need growth. You need to see the future to, to be successful instead of just getting you out of a hole that's already too deep. Right. Um, so a lot of farmers in that aspect, you know, they're getting away from the banks. They're not feeling like they have a place to go to get money if they are in a hard position. Um, but yeah, that, that's, that's a hard topic because I feel like, you know, with interest rates growing with feed costs, you know, how they've been and overall cost for the farmer, it's really hard to ask for more money right now. Right. Yeah. It's, it, but that's, but in the same token, it's like, as a country, we have to be thinking to ourselves, well, what happens if these guys all go away? Right. And I mean, because that's a really big deal. And I, and I want to, and I, Leads me up to talk a little bit, if you wouldn't mind. I'd like to talk a little bit about your about the farm bill because I think this is such an interesting topic. Um, it's one of the biggest movers and shakers. It's you know about that thick when it gets done being written. It, it's every what five years they go through the motions of this, and it's quite a to do. And and so I want to talk a little bit about how that affects you all. And and I think it's important to kind of frame up a little bit that some of the process of the farm bill does bring farmers and ranchers and growers and people in to talk about stuff. But it's interesting when a lot of it is, you know, you've got five people representing something, right. As opposed to 500 people or to your point about getting heard or getting those voices out there. So not only is it a call to action for everybody to participate in the process with the, with our government and the USDA and stuff to help move the ball down the field, but it also talks a little bit about the disconnect. And I always think about, Years and years ago, in my tenure, we were doing something. There was a there was a somebody from Los Angeles at, in their district was completely all city, no ag whatsoever. Wanted to pass a bill that said that organic farmers couldn't hand weed their fields. Well, we didn't have Lorox. We didn't have that, right? Yeah, maybe you had a tractor, but that doesn't necessarily get everything back. That time, it's like, well, why? Well, it's inhumane to hand weed. But what's the difference between harvesting broccoli? What's the difference between milking a cow? It's a process you have to go through to put food on people's tables. It's not inhumane. It's a part of the process. I always think about that as that massive disconnect. So, thinking about the farm bill as a whole, from a position of a rancher and a position of your peer group, wave your magic wand for me a little bit. What's some of the biggest game changers you'd like to see when it comes to the upcoming farm bill, or things that we need to be cognizant about? Yeah. So, you know, the farm beer farm bill is something that I'm still, you know, learning about a little bit. My dad's always been the front runner on the farm bill. Um, but when it comes to, you know, the milk formula and the milk market, that's something that we need to strengthen. Um, I feel like the 2018 farm bill really lost opportunities for us as dairy farmers to, you know, gain more money and be able to have that sustainability thinking that we can make it for the next five years and be comfortable I think when it comes to the USDA and the farm bill, there should be a good split. You know, we have these representatives that are making this farm bill that are putting it together, but the farm bill really should be based off of farmers and ranchers opinion. This is our five year farm bill. This is what structures our food supply and our food security for the United States and what we do with other countries. And you should be listening to your farmers and ranchers. If the USDA and states want to pass regulations and bills, that's on them. But the farm bill is for farmers and ranchers to voice their opinions. And I think this year they've done a lot better. My dad has been to many meetings. Uh, we actually had a meeting with a congressman this morning um, to you know, voice our opinions on what we think needs to happen. And um, I, think, I think they're listening. It just depends who's going to vote yes and who's going to vote no. You know, you always have um, the unknown of, you know, some representatives and some congressmen that might um, be on the fence, but we're hoping that they're actually going to listen to their rural communities this year. And I think, you know, people are starting to listen as food is increasing for Americans. You can't not pay attention to that, right? Because the American voice is now 
um, in the conversation. It's not just the farmers or ranchers and what's best for them, but it's going to tie together what's best for the American people. Which is ultimately why we need to be invested in talking more about agriculture, because like we talked earlier, we're going to, we'll jump into it. It's about food insecurity. And I, I think that, you know, a, a nation that's food insecure is also just completely <laughs> not secure at all. Right. That's a really big problem. And I, I challenged this in a, in a broadcast in the past. And I said to everybody in the broadcast, like go into your kitchen right now and just open up every drawer, right. Every cupboard in the kitchen, check, take inventory of the food that you have and ask yourself, what happens if I couldn't get any more after today? That's a really scary topic to think about. I know that's a big hypothetical reach, but these are the kind of things we need to start asking ourselves as we look at policy, as we look at where we're heading, we look at security to your point about who's buying what land, who's going to be in control of what. Uh, it, it's, it's really a powerful conversation. So talk to me a little bit about what food insecurity means to you. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I, I travel quite a bit. I talk to family farmers and ranchers and see like where their head is at as well for this. For mm -hmm. me, um, I, I, I believe we just need to make more programs and build more processing plants that are small family farmer and rancher owned. I think that's a big one to have more competitive markets, to have fair pricing, because if Kroger or Save Mart or whatever is empty, at least, you know, John and Mary down the road are cutting their own beef and producing it. And maybe you can at least buy a quarter or half a cow or whatever you might want to buy to have your family, you know, secure for their food at night. Yeah. And so that's important for me. I think the USDA every year decides they want to say, oh, we're going to make it, you know, more affordable for Americans for the food, or they're going to um, make more opportunities for small family farmers and ranchers to have their own processing plants. But I can tell you right now, um, I talk with a lot of these guys that have opened processing plants and the USDA and the government make it a headache for them to get permits, to get open, to, um, you know, even stay open sometimes. And so we need to, we need to start, you know, relying on them more, not the big four packers, not these big processing plants that are owned by foreign countries. We need to secure American grown that comes first. And then if we can do other deals that are good for our country, then we do that. But we have to secure American grown first. Thanks for joining the Todd Versation. And now a word from our sponsor. At Produce Careers, we are in the people business. Thanks for listening to Todd Versations. As your trusted executive search firm for the fresh produce, food processing, and agribusiness industries, we focus on outcomes. With over 80 years of combined industry expertise, with our global networks, we have the tools and the skills to identify top talent for your organization's strategic hiring needs. Our relationship-driven approach and proven recruitment process deliver the right candidates at the right time. At Produce Careers, we know each hire is an investment. Whether you're looking for the perfect candidate or searching for your next challenge, call or email us today and let us partner with you. Yeah, I don't disagree with that at all. But we have to. We have to protect our own interests when it comes to our food. I think it's so incredibly important. You know, I was talking to somebody that's in the school nutrition program, and she said to me that with the weather we've been having here in California, that I can't get certain things, you know, they're not going to pick oranges and mandarins in the rain. You can't, it's not a good idea, but she's, she goes through, she goes, she goes, it's interesting. Like I can get anything processed. I can get anything that's, you know, not great food with no supply interruption, but the good stuff, it's like, 
I can't. And that just seems so off balance to me. It should be the other way around, right? To me, anyways, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I guess I'm, a, I'm out there on my own island and some of my thoughts when it comes to this. But I think we have such a big responsibility to the next generation to uplift them and to do a better job. All right, I got to do this. I got to ask about, we're going to get into climate a little bit because I, you know, I, I'm, I'm dropping the thing about the cow diapers. I told you about my dog in the studio earlier, right? So we got to talk about this cow diaper thing a little bit because agriculture is, is all about climate. There's no two ways about it. They contribute to the climate issue. They also help the climate issue, right? There's a fine line depending on what part of agriculture you want to look at. So talk to me a little bit about this big thing that's coming up now, cow diapers. I hear you're going to get diapers for the cows. You're going to put cow masks on too, maybe, but cow diapers. Let's go. Talk to me. Yeah. So I was on Tucker Carlson last night and uh, we talked about, you know, France wanting to implement masks for cows and diapers for cows to cut emissions. Um, I think... (laughs) Bless these people is all I'm going to say, because they just, you know, they live in the city and they do these research and they think it's a good idea. And I'm like, you need to go visit a farm and work on a farm for one day and put a mask on a cow and a diaper. And let me just just, let me just know how many times you're going to change that diaper. I would say anywhere between eight and ten times a day. Yeah, I, I would say, you know, those scientists and the people that are writing this article, I think they'd be done by the third time changing that diaper. Um, not only that very uncomfortable for the cow. They are an animal. We're not going to treat them um, like a masked up COVID, you know, patient. Um, They are an animal. They have to lay down. They have to eat. They have to drink water. They have to produce milk. Um, It makes no sense. It really is the stupidest thing I've ever seen in my life. Um, (laughs) I just, I just think it's so funny. All these, all these scientists with an agenda want to get rid of cows. And I say all the time, you know, if you get rid of cows that, um, are doing great things for the environment and have been here for thousands, millions of years. What do you think that's going to do in our environment? Are you going to continue to fill our waste facilities? Are you going to continue to build houses and not have beautiful land where not only livestock animals, but everyday wildlife animals need to live? You know, people, yeah. people don't think, you know, I'm not going to put a diaper on my cow at the end of the day. Well, a $100 question. Is it a plastic diaper or is it a cloth diaper? I mean, there you go. <laughs> Answer me that, kids, because <laughs> I guarantee you nobody's going to want to deal with a cloth diaper, not eight <laughs> times a day. <laughs> Whatever. Great. I, you know, God love God love them for the thought process. God love them for trying to make the ball go down the field. But it goes back to what we talked about earlier, back to EV cars. It's like, and how well, what is the ultimate solution? How's that going? What are you going to, who are you going to hire for that? What do you put that in the job description? How do you butter up that job to be great? Uh, <laughs> I don't know, man. My dad made a good point yesterday. He said, they want us to do all of this stuff to cut emissions and they're demanding it. It's not like they're asking, they're just demanding that you do it or you're going to go out of business, but then they offer no compensation for the thousands or millions of dollars that you implement into your farm or ranch. That's a problem with me. If you're going to, you know, make us do all of these crazy regulations that don't make sense in my opinion, then how are you going to reward me for my efforts of doing what you were asking me to do? Yeah, no um, doubt. That's, that's another thing, you know, you're going to make these farmers and ranchers go out of business because you're not even compensating them for, you know, helping the environment of how you want them to help, you know, yeah. the environment. So. I don't, I don't disagree with that premise at all. Yeah. Talk to me just really quick, a couple of final questions. We'll wrap up our time really quick. When you, when you're with your peer group, we were with your friends and you're talking about stuff and the ranchers and your community coffee shop, even at the creamery, right. When you're hanging out, what do you think the most common concern that you're hearing from your peer group today? Here in Tennessee, 
and I've been pretty vocal about this, is the housing developments. Nashville is only an hour away from us, and Nashville is growing very drastically, not only yeah. because of Nashville, but because of people wanting to get out of um, democratic states. They're trying to have a more affordable life for their family. Um, and I'm trying to be sensitive, right? Um, I understand that farmers and ranchers are going through financial hardship. So if they have to sell or forced to sell, it's really, I mean, this is the hard thing. It's really hard to say no, if you're two, $3 million in debt and you have family that you need to care for, and you're just at a breaking point, you have nowhere else to go. Right. Um, you feel bad you know, for those people, but we have developments and land here that the next generation, you know, grandma and grandpa that have farmed on that land for 120 years are now, you know, dying off and, you know, their dad's too old to take it over. So, you know, daughter and son are, are now, um, you know, taking that land over and they want the money. They don't care about the land. They want to yeah. build those houses. They want to sell it to the family that's going to, you know, build a million dollar mansion on it. And so we need to start educating people or maybe teaching them how they can use that land, you know, even if it's just a little chicken coop for their family. I, I, I just think we can do more with preserving our agriculture land. And I will say Central Valley was very good at that. They don't build on it. They mm -hmm. keep it preserved. And um, that's something that I told Tennessee. I was like, I wish we could just preserve our land and, and not give it away to housing developments. Well, I think it goes back to what we said earlier. We have to start to value our food. And I think we start to do that in the, the, the way I see it in the best long-term effect is that we have to work downstream with our schools and get these kids up to speed on that, you know, hey, that lousy slice of cardboard pizza with, you know, ketchup on it isn't really the best thing that you can do, but you can do this and we can make a difference. And if we educate those children, we're seeing the results, right? You're seeing, because of, you're seeing kids staying, eating in the cafeteria long. You see them eating different food. You see less behavioral issues. I mean, this stuff just compounds itself through the food that we feed people. And I think it's incredibly, and it compounds itself in a positive way, not a negative way, but it, through the food that we feed people. And I think it's incredibly important. So I appreciate you say, framing it up from that perspective and throwing it out there. Because again, I don't think people think about some of the things that you've thrown on the table today, whether they agree or they don't agree with you. The fact of the matter is you need to hear it. You need to form an opinion with other ideas around you. So your opinions are either more solid in stone or there's a kink in the armor that you need to investigate yourself to get a better formulation, no matter what it is, whether it's food, whether it's buying a car, whether it's you know standing on your head, it doesn't matter. All of it requires more conversation. I can't let you go, though. I got to ask one more question. Tell me about your music, because you're out there. You're in Nashville. You're, you're, you're making things happen. You got stuff on Spotify. You got, I don't know, I'm looking at the stuff. You got like a million people listening to your music now. I mean, you're getting out there. Talk to me. Yeah. So um, actually music has kind of taken a backseat to my advocacy. Um, last year I had the opportunity to work with Turning Point USA um, to build advocacy and education through agriculture. And, you know, I love music. I do. Um, but I'll tell you right now, I've never been a brown noser. Um, I'm not going to change the style of my music for anybody. And Nashville is kind of getting Los Angeles kind of type fill in. Um, and because I am in politics now and talking about regulations, it's not as easy to sign with, um, you know, a publisher or make a deal yeah. for me. Um, so I love music. I do. I love releasing it. I'm hoping to release some maybe in the fall um, of this year. Um, cool. But I, I feel like I've found, you know, I, I can connect agriculture. I can connect music together. And that's been great. Um, but I feel like I, I really have found my calling and advocacy and I think it's growing and I think I'm just getting started. And so, 
um, for now, that's that's what I'm going to be focusing on. Girl, you got a big voice out there and you're saying a lot of things that people don't like to hear and get uncomfortable with. And it's incredibly important that we get them to hear it. And it's incredibly important that they get uncomfortable because, again, that is how we're going to change. Right. We cannot have be so rigid in this country that it's just you're either in this club or you're out and canceled and gone. We have to look and listen no matter what side of the aisle, no matter up, down, left, right, whatever color, whatever pronoun you want to live in. We all have to try to figure out how we're going to move this ball down the field collectively, because individually we are just not doing a great job, kids. We're just not, you know, and I'll leave it. I'll drop the Sharpie on that one. Anything else exciting? I mean, what's anything new for the farm? I mean, you got ice cream, you got cheese people come visit, go get online, go to Nash family farms dot. I don't know. One of the dots. Nash family. Uh, actually, it's nashfamilycreamery.com. Creamery.com. There you go. Nash family We'll put it up on our social stuff so people find you and go visit. Tell them I sent you. You'll get stuff for free. No, you won't get anything for free. I'm only kidding. I appreciate you hanging out with me. I really, really do. You're awesome. Keep talking. Don't lose that courage that you have. Stand straight up. Look them right in the eye. Tell them what you think. Shake their hand and wish them a good day when you're done. That always wins the day and we need more of that. And I appreciate you coming on and sharing with us and I hope we stirred up the pot a little bit, get people thinking, you know, I really do. I really appreciate it. You're welcome back anytime. Yeah. Thanks so much, Todd. A pleasure. All right, everybody take care of each other. Get, take advice. Listen to what Stephanie had to say. Open your mind, open your hearts, be different, ask questions, get involved in your food. It's how we're going to make a difference in this country. It's how we're going to protect our interests long-term. It's an incredibly important topic and we need all your support to make it happen. Thanks for listening. Check us out on social media. You know where we're at. You know why I'm on social media, Stephanie? Because I hang out with the Kardashians. That's why I'm there. Appreciate you all being here, everybody. Take care of yourself. Take care. Don't remember. Go inspire somebody today. Like Steph has inspired me. Go inspire somebody today to make a difference. Thanks, everybody. We'll see you soon. Bye.